Hello everyone and welcome to the Educate Norfolk podcast. Good to have you with us. My name is Jonathan Rice. I'm the head teacher at Caster Primary Federation and joining me as ever is Sarah Shiraz, the head teacher at St Williams Primary in Norwich. Hello Sarah. Hi Jonathan, how are you? Well, all right, thank you very much. It's very nice the end over of here an at interesting week. The end of an interesting week indeed. A lot to reflect on. So what we're going to do um, Sarah and I this week, if it's okay with all of you at home, is we're going to reflect on, can we call it a turbulent political week? It has been quite turbulent, hasn't it? There have been some ups and downs and much coming and going in our world, hasn't there? So and we're going to have a bit of a think about... Yeah, frustration verging on anger at times. Yes, we... and we're going to have a, there's a little bit of that mixed in. So we're just going to have a reflect, a little time to reflect on how some of those uh different events might impact on us all in our work in schools and i guess i mean obviously there have been some high profile comings and goings at the department for education but i know sarah you're particularly keen to start by talking about amanda spielman who i should add is still in post but what are your thoughts on the chief inspector of schools this week sarah well, as you and I both know, Jonathan, from various different experiences in our world, uh, sometimes headlines can exaggerate aspects of what you have to say. And the kindest commentators this week said, oh, possibly what she said was misconstrued by the headline. Firstly, we all have to be a bit savvier than that, don't we? But secondly, I, I didn't feel that. So to have give the impression that schools got their priorities wrong during first lockdown, we're not talking about second lockdown as I see it in you know, January uh, this year. We're talking about way, way back. And actually yesterday, I spent a lot of time thinking about back then in first lockdown. I live about two miles from my school and I walked here every day in that lockdown. I barely saw another car, another human being, nothing. Because if you remember those days, we'd never had this before. Most people were frightened and people stayed home. They did as they were told. And there were we in an absolutely unprecedented situation, just doing instinctively our best by the families and the children we work with. The idea that for any of us who got it wrong, now obviously if you did nothing, you probably got it wrong, but there we were, we had no Teams, we had no Zoom, we didn't know how long this was going to go on for. And I know our school, you know, we did a good job, but so did thousands of schools out there. So we started recording lessons. We did paper packs every week to pick up. We, um, you know, dropped things off at people's homes so that they had books to read. We, yes, of course, we engaged with them on a very practical level. Are people hungry? Are people not going to work and not getting paid? Surely human survival was the most important thing that we had at that point. But that didn't mean we forgot our key purpose. It didn't mean we, we forgot that, you know, children's academic achievement matters, but their emotional well-being and their physical health had to take priority. Having had that rant, I think what worries me more is that the head of Ofsted has got to the position where she can say things like that and not have any understanding of the damage that does to the relationship between the organisation she leads and our profession and our profession has felt kicked and punched enough over the last 18 months and we'll come back to some of that but actually to say that and then not think that actually people who were on their knees at that point both lots of our staff weren't there because they were anxious and lots of us as leaders were leading staff into the unknown 
How is it okay to, you know, do they want people to be head teachers? Do they want them to be school leaders? Because they're not exactly going the right way about that at the moment. And, you know, that what worries me is that where people have got through that and they have led their school communities, they're going to read something like that and they're going to go, right, I have given my all. Why should I do that when the level of appreciation is so low? I, okay. Well, you were ranting on all our behalf, so Sarah, I'm quite sure. I reacted to those comments in exactly the same way. And then I had a and then I had a couple of thoughts. And one thought was a, quite a cynical one about Ofsted, I suppose. As you know, I am quite cynical about Ofsted generally, as we, a lot of us are. I wondered if it was her saying to the profession, I know you've been doing a lot of good work during COVID, but don't think you're going to get any credit for it from, for it from us. So when we come and inspect you, we ain't interested in how well you've looked after your families or engaged with your communities or how good you remember. We don't want to know about all that. We don't want to know about your food bank. And we just we're just going to inspect you on the strength of the things that you did before and the things in the framework. So we're not interested in all that good work you've done. That was one possible thing just to try and make sure people didn't think they were going to get good grades for um, for that bit of homework. On the, other, other, thing. on the other hand, there are outstanding schools that did nothing. So you can't use that. And that's what she's saying, isn't it? They'll still be outstanding because that's not the bit we're interested in. Second lockdown, Jonathan, I can have some sympathy because second lockdown, we knew we were told to prepare during the autumn, we were told to get ready for some practice and we learned from each other we fed back where there had been bubbles to what teachers experiences had been so come January the 4th you know that really difficult day where you opened we didn't open you know I became a media superstar because of that and the next day that evening we shut down for the next day schools had a sense of what to do she wasn't talking about that she was talking about first lockdown when none of us had had preparation the world had had no preparation for this our kids didn't have devices. So that's one of the things I keep coming back to. You know, there were two tweets this week that summed it up for me. One was from our dear friend Jim Adams, which was let the meet Zoom, which I thought was a fantastic tweet. But the second was um, a head teacher called Simon Smith, who said, I've reflected on this. I've thought about it. All I want to know is what were you doing? And that to me was right on because our, many of our parents at our school working in supermarkets. They had to go to work. The hospitals were working. We were working, yes, in different ways, and some people were at home. But actually, the vast majority of white-collar office workers were either at home working or at home not working. You know, what were they doing? How dare they? When I was in this school every day, just wanting to get it right and trying to think of the most creative ways we as a team could do that. But, yeah, I, I like I well, say, I second lockdown, fair enough. We had prep, we had time, and yeah, some people yeah. still found it very, very hard, obviously. But we didn't have that the first time. And I just feel, as we will keep saying when we talk about other political events, the disrespect is the thing that I find so difficult. And you know me, this is, I'm not a ranter, I'm a fence sitter, I want everything to be all right, you know. But the disrespect is just really getting to people in, you know, I just, I just find it incredible that if they want to work with the profession for the best outcomes for all our children and young people, dissing us whenever they get the opportunity is not going to do that. Well, I think that comes back to the second point I was going to make is that this, that Amanda Spielman has never been a teacher and she doesn't clearly from her comments here understand how schools work and the place they, the part they play in their communities. And 
you know, if you've never worked in a school, you perhaps don't understand that. And I think she's demonstrated in those comments that she's she doesn't understand that. And the second, actually, like you, obviously, I had the same reaction to the food parcels remarks. But actually, she said something else in that same at that same conference that really wound me up as well, which was the thing about um, schools might need to get away from having the, from the nice things to have. Did you see that quote? This is yeah. something about, in fact, I've got on my screen here because I just wanted to make sure I quoted her accurately. She said, um, nice things to have may need to be cut from the national curriculum to ensure children are catching up. The sort of everyday magic that teachers do of really motivating and wanting children to learn and introducing them to the whole curriculum, minimising wasting of time. And then she said schools would need to be pretty focused. They, there are experiences nice to have things that are often built into curricula and I expect a lot of those will get cut for the children who have missed them most. Do the pupils who spend a lesson in the, on the Egyptians wrapping their friend in toilet roll remember the details of Egyptian religious beliefs or do they remember the fun activity? Oh, well in my mind there speaks a person who has never taught a class of children certainly not primary school. I do agree as primary school practitioners some things can be very fluffy in they the can be. whatever years I've been a teacher the fluffiness has massively reduced but you still if it's nice fun you know we're human beings I've just had the lovely experience of watching mini busloads of our children come and go all afternoon to the cathedral to see Dippy the dinosaur you know we have a friend Jim I've mentioned before he became a science teacher because he saw Dippy when he was three in London right that's what sparked his love and joy in science I every single one of our children will be on that minibus at some point today or on Monday except for reception because there's a little bit beyond them at the moment but that's not nice that is a core experience. I don't know what the learning outcome of that experience is going to be. Maybe it's the first time they've ever been on a minibus. Maybe it's, you know, the first time they've been in the cathedral. But it's certainly for most of them the first time they've seen, the, you know, that skeleton of the dinosaur. And I just think it's fantastic. And the juxtaposition of a dinosaur in the cathedral, I love. You know, there, there's so many things to be asked. I don't know what the learning outcome is. It's not going to be a pass or fail. It is nice, but it's far more than nice. But I the, worrying, a the worrying implication of what she said there, though, is that people will start cancelling the rest of their curriculum and anything that doesn't involve staple gunning the children's trousers to their seats and having them sitting in rows staring at the front. Ah, Catching up, as the awful phrase has it, on English maths. We don't, you know, the, the desks in reception now is not going to be an issue every year because the certain gentleman who was asking that question every single year of Norfolk, does every single one of your reception children have a desk? will no longer be there to ask that question. Well, what a brilliant segue. Let's move on. Who are you referring to there, Sarah? I'm talking about Nick Gibb. And I actually have to say, um, I, yes, I've read tweets this week. OK, I know it's just Twitter, but the, I have never really, maybe I've just been naive to it, the absolute division that his style and his uh, take on the curriculum and his take on testing and assessment has given to the profession. So the people that are saying, this is dreadful that Nick Gibb has gone, it is absolutely awful. And the people who are just saying, phew, you know, now maybe as a profession we can move on. And that polarisation, I know Twitter exaggerates it, but it is a polarisation. And, you know, I, I just feel that there were so many comments, weren't there, about hell could freeze over before he'd ever stop being the school's minister. It was probably the biggest shock of the whole reshuffle, absolutely. I would say. And I ultimately think, Yes, OK, during the pandemic, we've all had an awful lot to say, rightfully so, about the lack of leadership from Gavin Williamson. But actually, what has made an impact on schools and has been 
such a restrictive accountability okay it's Ofsted but he has been behind so much of that and you know I wouldn't I don't know maybe I'm, I'm overthinking things but if I was coming in as the new Secretary of State it might be like a, you know if you're coming into a school and you've got a massively well-established deputy and all the team are behind him and actually you can't see where you'll establish your position and you know that doesn't happen very often but why did he get sacked we've had no word on that apart from maybe that you know there might be a fresh approach we can just really hope can't we but yeah were you as shocked as that as I was Absolutely, I was. Yes, I was expecting because every. I mean, we've been, we've been. I don't know how many secretaries. You probably know how many secretaries of state he has served. Must be at least five. Seven, mustn't I think it? seven. Seven. Yeah. Okay. Because well, well, we had some for very short periods of time, didn't we? Like Damien Hines and people. I, I think it was seven. Uh, yeah. No. I, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it is that many. And I think we. I mean, we knew Gavin Williamson. You know, if there was a reshuffle, he'd go. He's, he served his purpose, hasn't he? And he's just, you know, they can, uh, well. He's served his purpose for as a sort of human shield for the government, hasn't he? Rather like Matt Hancock and Dominic Raab um, before him. But uh, okay. they can blame all sorts of things on him now, can't they? But um, Zahawi I, is an interesting character, isn't he? Because he, he's got this reputation in Tory circles as a safe pair of hands. Although I was quite... My, my most recent recollection of him was um, appearing on the Sunday morning television round defending black vaccine passports whilst Sajid Javid said that they were going to abandon them on the other channel. And he struck me as somebody who wasn't exactly at the heart of government if he uh, was left with his trousers around his ankles so publicly on that occasion. So to what extent we're close to the heart of government now, I am a little sceptical. No, I mean, there was some interesting sort of political discussion around the high states of office, because actually, if you do it on how much money they've got behind them as different ministers, then, you know, health and education and social and welfare are right up there aren't they they're the biggest spenders but actually obviously there's the traditional ones um I have to say I was on fast reaction wasn't disappointment I was fearing a lot worse certainly earlier on in the day at one point Donald said pretty good tell at one point and then I thought I thought it might be gay and then Oliver Dowden was in there for a few hours wasn't he and then he got a different job um my memory and it might be wrong was there were some quite positive interactions when he was in the Department of Education before so when he was um children and families minister and he certainly came to Norfolk a couple of times and he certainly did particularly seem to try and engage along the agenda around special needs and families for children with special needs however if you look at his voting record it's just you know he voted for uh, against free school meals in the holidays and and things where there could have been some nuance um you know there's the most the most cynical people have just said it's safe for johnson johnson isn't really bothered about educational policy he just wants to win the next election so let's just have people that are gonna just bide it and get there i would hope certainly some of the things that he's tweeted since his appointment reminding us of things that he'd done quite positive things in the sense of things that we would agree with to do with um, some of the reforms but let's wait and see I mean neither him nor Robert Walker have been to state schools I'm not sure that matters I think compassion can be bred in many many uh, situations yeah I mean he's got an interesting hinterland with his upbringing in um in Syria and in, in Iraq yes. isn't he and Robin Walker, actually, Robin Walker, for those of us ancient political geeks, is Peter Walker's son. He is. And boy, doesn't he look like him. Yeah, but I mean, he's sort of, you know, St Paul's School and so, Oxbridge and everything. Isn't he? And I, yes. I, I mean, the, the EDP contacted several head teachers and printed an article around what head teachers would want his 
priorities to be. And I did point out to them that actually I thought Nick Gibb going was more significant. But it's quite yeah. an interesting mix because some of the heads talked as if COVID had never happened. Let's just talk about education per se. And some people were talking more around what needs to be on the agenda because you know of what's happened before. Um, and yeah, I just I, I come back to respect for the profession. You know, and we're not a perfect profession by any stretch. We not everybody is as good as doing but then you can say that in any profession and I just feel that the whole attitude and the disdain if that's what goes then you know yes we have very different points of view and they need balancing and it might be that you know some policy we don't all agree with but at least have that discussion at least have that you know sense of collective responsibility and an understanding he's not an educational professional and and let's talk no, and, and then he has the word board yet, though, has he? so that's encouraging I guess made some encouraging noises. My fear actually is that um, in the, as far as the primary sector is concerned will be largely ignored because the big issues in education at the moment seem to be around vaccines obviously for 12 to 15 year olds and also redesign, redesigning the exam system don't they? They obviously want to get tucked into GCSEs and A levels so and I, I don't think that we can see a lot of these guys really. Yeah and there's an interesting um, piece around the spending review because um, certainly the TES is saying that Gavin Williamson had already put in uh, in a, an application for money and whether that then has to stay or whether that can be very quickly changed. Um, certainly looks like uh, post-16 they want some massive savings but I can't see finances being great for us. No, I, I'm pretty sure that the timing, not because I know this but because I've read this, that the timing of the reshuffle is to do with the spending review and therefore the previous Secretary of State makes the application for the money and the new Secretary of State is stuck with the amount that you know that they That's inherit and it's just a way of it's just a way of, of, of capping that. But, but as just, I've said oh, so sorry. many times though the whole you know what determines so much of what we do is what we're held accountable for but not just what we're held accountable for how high the stakes on that accountability is so you know I, I don't have issues around some of the aspects of testing in primary school I have issues with the high stakes of those I don't have issues actually less than you do around the idea that we do need some sort of system that checks up on us as professionals that makes sure schools are good enough because I certainly started teaching in a profession that many schools were utterly you know beneath the quality of provision that is given okay you laugh about the toilet rolls and say they've got to have fun but when there was nothing else that wasn't just part of it that was the entirety yes, that was it. but, yeah. but it's about how that is implemented and the accountability and while the profession is held in or feels like it's ignored and held in disdain then all of that is going to great together, isn't it? Rather than say, we want the highest things for our kids. We want the very best for them. We want it emotionally. We want it in resilience. We want it academically. We want it in all other, you know, I can see the whiteboard behind you, Jonathan. And on your whiteboard, it says sporting excellence. We want all that stuff. We want music. We want the arts. We want all of it. But actually doing it together rather than feeling that we're somehow being rebellious by spending our time you know, composed. I don't know. It just feels that we've got to work on this together and, and, and just let the children who have had a tough time just have a nice time, but more than that, love being children as well as preparing them for the future. The sporting excellence on my board obviously refers to what we want for the children of Caster, not my golf. Anyway, um, we've got our blood pressure up here a bit, Sarah, haven't we? We <laughs> should uh, need to, on a, uh, we were. <laughs> I might need to go and sit down for a little while, but one last um, departure right at the end of this week, I think. Sue Baldwin, 
our regional schools commissioner, who I, <coughs> our first regional schools commissioner was, <coughs> excuse me, a very prominent character, wasn't he? And we uh, heard a lot from him. Sue Baldwin, less so, but she's yeah, off. I met, I met her um, when I was chair of the Primary Teacher Association and when we had regional meetings, which is going back a couple of years. And when she got appointed, she came to one of those meetings and I went with Carol Dallas, who was chair of the secondary um, heads at the time. And what, how she came across to us with listening and she came across as someone who hadn't got an educational background but knew lots about people she just kept saying but I know people who do and she just it, I don't know how it's found out since then I think some of them have had a hard time when they haven't necessarily known what the DfE were going to do next I don't think the DfE's known what the government was going to do next during the pandemic so um, it just it does feel like another role where the person you get influences stuff so Tim Coulson did it very differently from her and actually that for therefore people you know were held account in different ways and I, yeah it's just another unknown another uncertainty and another area in which pressure can come onto the system and onto schools and academies that possibly is not needed at this moment a bit of consistency where we actually did have you know I certainly know that that Norfolk had really regular meetings with um, you know people from the DfE during the pandemic and felt that, that they were listened to and that we as school leaders fed into that and you know just another bit of uncertainty and very interesting to see who we get. Will you be applying? <laughs> I'm quite well, happy. What would, be wrong? what would be wrong with you know actually a, a head teacher going and doing that job because I think Sue Baldwin for her show I, I also went down to that meeting in Haverhill, also with Carol Dallas, interestingly. She obviously out, outlasted the pair of us. Um, and, and my experience with Sue Baldwin was, was very similar, it, apart from when I tried to make some ill-timed joke about tweeting something she'd just said, which was just a joke, and she looked at me over the top of her glasses like, um, yes, exactly like that, Sarah. Um, I, I, she, having said all that, she was a policy wonk from the DfE, wasn't she? She's not. She's not somebody who's come out of schools. You know, she. She. Her previous career was was within the DfE, wasn't it? So, you know, I don't think necessarily these sort of you know career bureaucrats from Whitehall are necessarily the right person to be in that role. What would be wrong with having somebody who was actually working in a school? But it's not going to be me or you, I guess. No. no. Okay, well, having worked ourselves up into a right old lather, perhaps we ought to uh, stop there because we'll see how all this shakes out, won't we, over the over the weekend and over the over the coming days. We'll we'll hear a little bit more from each of these people and and hopefully get a sense of of a direction of travel. I think we've got There's the Austin direction thing of travel. Like already. Um, well, one of the friends of our podcast from the past, we. Um, had about a year ago we spoke to Chloe Smith who is the MP where my school is obviously a Conservative MP and very shortly after we spoke to her she was diagnosed with breast cancer and I have to say that the honesty of that the pub you know saying out in public but also the fact she stayed in the public eye even when she was undergoing treatment and losing her hair um, last weekend she did an interview with the Times on Saturday um, because she was exactly the same age as Sarah Harding from Girls Aloud who died of breast cancer and so they spoke to Chloe Smith about how she detected that and, and how her treatment had gone um, and Chloe's coming to visit us as a school like I say she's our MP so she's coming in a couple of weeks time so it would be really good maybe for us to catch up with her but um, she's got a new job 
um, she got reshuffled. Um, and so it'd be really, yeah, it'd be good to catch up with her and just see how she's doing. But whatever party politics we have, the fact that a young mum, you know, who's carried on working and in what she could have easily, easily and understandably hidden away because of some of the pressures it brings on the sort of, you know, physical environment. But actually, you know, that all credit to Chloe and for how she's coped with that and the fact that she's um, still undergoing treatment but has cancer free is just fantastic news for yeah, that's for that is good news. That is good news. And yeah, whatever your politics, she's she's a she's a she's a good person. She's been very generous with her time with us, hasn't she, Sarah? And, and she does um, listen and she listens to children. Yeah. She's sent to her school. Um, she's gonna be the um, minister the new minister in the um, DWP uh, for disabled people health and work is her new role. So um, obviously that would be quite interesting to see how that goes, but it'd be lovely to catch up with her in this format at some point soon as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, a friend of the show, we could say. Good. OK, well, we're going to leave it there. Um, thank you, Sarah, for your thoughts. Sorry, I ranted a bit. I didn't use the word rant, but um, you were ranting on all our behalf, so I'm quite sure. I'm quite sure. So thank you, everybody um, at home. Or, or in the car or wherever you are uh, for listening. Great to have you with us again. We shall see you next time. Uh, the producer was Nigel Murphy. This has been the Educate Norfolk podcast. Thanks very much for joining us and goodbye. Take care, everyone.